time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. You guys having a good time at Desperate? Somebody from Texas? Why, if you're from Texas, that's the only response. Woo! Yeah! Anybody from Colorado? Anybody from Iowa? <laughs> I just guessed. Actually, I didn't. Anybody from Oklahoma? Are you? I was just trying to embarrass Jerry because he's from Oklahoma, and I knew nobody from Oklahoma was coming here, all right? <laughs> well, let's, um, let's get started. I just want to share some things with you today that I think could really help you because you guys are at a place in your life, all of you, whether you're an adult, whether you're, a, whether you're the youngest person here. Who's the youngest person here? Raise your hand. Who do you think, who you, think you? How old are you? You. Yeah. Yeah? 12, 13? Cool. Well, if you're 13, 35, or 130, God has an amazing plan for your life. And today, if you saw the title, it's God's Dream for Your Life. I just want to take a little bit of time to open up what I believe to be God's dream for your life. Now, I'm not going to go down the road and be like, Baker, baseball player. Obviously, I'm wrong, right? Down and tell you what God's specific plan is for your life. But I want to tell you what God's plan is for your life on a bigger picture. Is that cool? Cool. I want to pray. Let's get started. I want to pray before we get started. because Right here? I want to pray before we get started. Because I know some of you guys are having a tough time. You know, you just sat through a session and... And so I'll, I'll move around a lot and try to keep your, your attention, but uh, let's pray real quick. God, thank you so much for this day, Lord, for your glory, for your splendor, that you are here with us. And God, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we're a bunch of free people in here, God, who don't have to act like we're bound up anymore. We get to be us, have fun, enjoy ourselves. God, thank you that you are inside of us. You, that's how close you are to us. You are inside of us and you speak. And if we listen, God, our lives can be impacted in amazing ways, and we can impact this world. I pray you would raise up an army in this room of young people who would leave this conference and shatter the enemy's plans for this world. Many people would be saved, healed, delivered, set free, discipled, equipped, empowered, served out in the community, God, and you would do wonderful things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> My name is Ben Purtle. Purtle like turtle with a P-I, except in the beginning, and so you can remember my name because it's Ben Purtle. It sounds like turtle. I, mean, I got jokes made fun of me my whole life. Ha ha, Purtle Turtle. So if you think, if you want to say that, it doesn't affect me anymore. Um, I, got a, I got a letter in the mail one time to Bed Turtle, and that was pretty much the extent of me not being offended anymore. So my name is Ben Purtle. I am from Louisiana. I wrestled alligators when I was a kid and ate crawfish, and then I moved from Louisiana to California, from California to Phoenix, and from Phoenix to Dallas, Texas. Phoenix? Yeah, hot, very hot. Anyway, I moved from Phoenix to Dallas, Texas, where I live now. I'm in a church called Gateway Church in Dallas, in Dallas, Texas. It's a great church, and one of our finest will be here leading worship tonight, Carrie Job. And um, I'm real excited about that for you guys because where Carrie Job goes, that's not fair. God is just good, so I'm not going to just give her a bunch of credit. She is awesome, but. Um, God's going to move tonight through her, just like he's moving this whole time. So anyway, I live in Dallas, Texas. I have an amazing, amazing wife. She's pregnant right now. She is due right now, and I'm here, and she's like, just get back if I give you the phone call. So I have my phone right here. So if I take off running through this thing, then somebody just come up and pretend like you know what you're talking about and just take over where I left off, okay? 
You got it? All right, you're the designated guy. So she's due right now with my fourth child. I know. I, can't, I thought I was crazy until I came here. The whole staff here has, every, it's like a minimum of four children to be on staff here. And so I, I said, I called Callie. Her name's Callie. I said, I called her this morning. I was like, Callie, I think we're normal. We're just in the wrong city, you know? So I think I'm going to move my membership here. And anyway, people think we're crazy in Dallas because people are really aggressive about their careers. And you can't have four little munchkins tagging along when you have a career. My oldest is five. Her name is Copeland. She's beautiful. She's smarter than all of us put together. I was sitting at the computer the other day and doing things that not so smart people do. I was looking at animals on Google. (laughs) Google images, llama. I'm like, let's see what this looks like. And so I looked at this animal (laughs) and she walks in, five years old. I said, Copeland, come here, look at this llama. She walks up to it, the computer, and she goes, dad, that's clearly an alpaca. (laughs) I don't know the difference. So apparently one of them has long hair, one of them has short hair, and, and one of them was in Napoleon Dynamite. And so I, I just like, I don't know the difference, so she taught me that. My number two, his name is Watts, W-A-T-T-S, like a light bulb, and he is, and he's crazy. He's just certifiably crazy. All he lives for is to annoy everybody and to be funny. So that's cool. He kind of takes after me. And then my number three, his name is Grisham. We call him the Toro Loco Gordo, the fat crazy bull, because he is. He's like this tall this wide and he breaks everything including the five-year-old and the three-year-old and so he's crazy he has one move and it's this and run just knocking stuff over so that's the loco toro whatever i don't know that any any hispanic speakers you can correct me later but i know the words are toro loco and gordo because he is fat crazy and a bull so um and then I got this little girl due this week, and I'm excited, and I have no idea what her name is going to be, because uh, we've run out of interesting, weird names, and so we're just, huh? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> is that your name? It's beautiful. Okay. That's my family. Let me tell you a quick story, just to get, you, get started about my three-year-old Watts, because he's crazy. If you're a pastor, you need crazy stories, especially if you're a youth pastor. And so God dropped this little dude in my life that constantly gives me weird stories to talk about, and then God tells me what they mean later on. You know what I'm saying? Watson has a, he, he is mortal enemies. His, the worst hate, he hates worse than anything in the world is wearing clothes. <laughs> Any clothes. Like a bracelet, and he's like, Dad, I'm overdressed. You know, I'm like, hey, take it easy. We're at Walmart, you know. Anyway, we were, um, <laughs> we were in, y'all know the band Mercy Me. They have a, they have a box at the Texas Rangers Stadium. They're big fans. Well, we were in their box, and it's just it's these big windows like this. And I lost Watts because there's like 25 people in this little box. And uh, I'm like, hey, does anybody see Watts? And I turn around, and he is completely naked. Pressed up against, he's three, so it's not that bad. Pressed up against the window, and like, we're, we're like in left field. Like, if every, you, anybody can see it. I'm like, and, and most parents be like, ah. I'm like, hey, everybody look. Look at Watts. So that's him. Anyway, so one day, I came home from work, and he's, he's in his normal clothing, nothing. And I'm like, hey, Watts, man, why don't you put some clothes on? So my wife and I, we talked. She's like, that day we talked, and she said, we gotta, we've got to turn the tie with this guy. Because it's embarrassing to have people over to your house and your son won't wear clothes, you know. And when he gets, he gets angry and he, like, eats his clothes, he's like, he bites his shirts. And we put a tie on him one time. Never going to do that again. It was like the atomic bomb went off in my house. Anyway, so my wife's like, we got to turn the tide on this guy. So we started working towards 
towards him wearing clothes. You know, we're, we're going to start with this. It's a, this, Watson, is a cotton ball. Hold it to your face, you know. That's more clothes than he ever, than he ever wears. So we're, we're starting, you know, and we're going to this thing. And he's like, why? He always asks, why, why, why? And I'm like, well, for one, people come over, you know, and, and, and they're not our family. And, and, and that's weird, you know. And, and he's like, oh, why, why? And so I finally get him to wear a little bit of clothes. Then we buy a bulldog. This story is crazy. We buy a bulldog, and her name is Lucy because her skin is so loose. And so she, that's exactly why her name is Lucy. I'm not even making that up. She can barely see little bitty bulldog, you know, cute American bulldog or English bulldog, whatever the fat short one is. Matches my son, right? And so (laughs) one day he will have problems because of these stories, but right now he doesn't know what I'm talking about. So we get Lucy, and Lucy bites everything. Now, biting puppy and a naked kid are a bad combination. You know what I'm talking about. Don't let me offend anybody, because I said we're free in here, so we're going to be free in here if that's okay. Not free enough to be like my son, but we're going to be free and talk about it. So Lucy, the biting dog, and Watson, his name is Watson, we call him Watson. Watson, the naked child, are a disaster in the making. So I sit down and have a talk with them. Son, you really need to start wearing clothes. I went and bought the coolest underwear in the world, like Toy Story underwear, Iron Man, and he wants to wear them backwards so he can see the pictures, you know? <laughs> so, not, so if I get him to wear anything, he, at this point, he says, okay, I might wear it, but I'm not gonna wear it like you want me to wear it. It's backwards, you know? So, so, so I, start buying, I, I'm, I start buying cool underwear and, and whatever. And so anyway... I'm, it's my day off, and I am on the couch, and I'm watching sports, and my kids are going crazy. And when you have four kids and, or three kids, and they're all young, you kind of just tune all that out, and just finally you just have a moment. You know, I'm like, I don't really care what y'all break or what you jump off of. For right now, I'm just going to watch baseball, you know? <laughs> so I hear this, ah, ah, no, Lucy, <laughs> no, Lucy. And I'm like, oh, great, what does she do? Now, I'm not, I haven't, my mind has not gone to what she's done. I'm just like, she's eating a toy or whatever. He comes running in the living room. Ah, Dad, Lucy bit me. And, and Lucy bit him where he should have clothes on. And, <laughs> and I said, what? First of all, I made sure he was okay. It wasn't, you know, whatever. And then, and then I said, What? Wear clothes. Listen to me. Wear clothes. You need to wear clothes. And I, I took him through this extensive process of more reasons than a dog biting you why you need to wear clothes. I started telling him, you know. And, fi- and, and but that day, he started wearing clothes. But I, I, went on a, I went on a deal like this, and I called my wife. I was like, so how's Lucy? She goes, oh, yeah, she's on Craigslist. I sold her. I was like, awesome. So I came home, and we didn't even have the dog anymore. So we solved that problem, so he's naked again. But anyway, listen to me. <laughs> All right, ch- listen right here. As Watts' father, I've got huge plans for this guy. He's amazing. He would come up here right now, three years old. You wouldn't be able to see him because he's like this tall. But he would come up here. If I put him up here, he would like break dance and he would sing songs and rap and he would not want to give me the mic back. He loves it. He loves entertaining. He loves being with people. And I've got huge plans for him. I can see this guy going to the top. I can see him impacting the world because he has no inhibitions. I mean, obviously, he doesn't even wear clothes, you know? I can see him just going... Once God gets a hold of his life, just going out there and doing amazing things, and I can see it from a different perspective, and so therefore, I want him to start listening to me. 
I want him to start practicing what I'm telling him. I want him to start wearing clothes for more than reasons of I don't want to see him naked all the time. I want him to start wearing clothes because, because I wanted him to start listening. And so when I say wear clothes, he obeys me and wears clothes because it's the right thing to do. And there's a bigger picture. You got to wear clothes to leave the house. You got to leave the house to go to school. You got to go to school to get education. You got to get education to reach the world. You see what I'm saying? There's this huge picture and all he can see is right here. I don't want to wear clothes. I want to eat this tie. So dad has this humongous picture for his life, and I'm putting things in order in his life, and I'm telling him what he can and can't do in his life, and right now he doesn't even know what I'm talking about, but I have a dream for him. He's my son. I have a dream for this guy, and it's huge, and he has no clue what it is. He just wants to have fun. Today I want to tell you this. I want to tell you that your father has a dream for you. He has a dream specifically for you. And the crazy thing about this dream for you, oh, you have bits and pieces of it because you have talents and you have ideas and you have passions. But the crazy thing about your father's dream for you is that it's so big that you don't even know what it is right now because you couldn't couldn't predict it and you couldn't make it up. It's that good. But there's a way to reach the father's dream for you that's so simple yet so complex. And I wanna tell you today what that is and if you'll apply that to your life, You will live a dream for your life that God has meant for you that will blow your mind and blow your dream out of the water. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says this. If you have your Bible, I'll still read it out loud. It's a reference back to the Old Testament, but the verbiage is very, very important for us today. It says, as it is written, no eye has seen, that means you and me, your eyes have not seen, No ear has heard, no mind can comprehend, understand, envision the good things which God has prepared for those who love him and obey. Let me say it one more time because this is what I want to resonate through your soul today. Your eye has not seen, young person. Your ear has not heard. Your mind has not made up, comprehend. Your mind cannot dream the good, amazing, great, huge things that God has in store for you if you'll love him and obey him. You see what I'm saying? There's a picture out there, and it's got your life written on it. And as much as you want to do this and that and go do this and be on this stage or go to this country or serve here or do this or be a doctor or an athlete or whatever it is, there's a picture and there's a, there's a, place, a placement that you've been put into that you can't comprehend because it's so good, it's beyond your greatest imagination. Now let's pause for a second. If today you could say, God, this is what I want to do with my life, and you could make a movie in your mind of exactly what you wanted to do, what would that be? Don't tell me, just think about it. I want everybody to think about it. What would it be? Some of you have a picture of it. Some of you don't even know, which is fine. But if you could do anything, money was not an issue, boundaries weren't an issue, nothing was an issue. You could do anything. What would it be? And here's my response to it. It doesn't compare to what God has for you because it's God's plan for you is that much better. Your wildest dreams are, are, are so small in comparison to God's dream for you in your life. 
that's crazy for some of us to understand because you're like, wait, 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 if I could do this and I could have this audience, I could do this and that. And I'm not saying that that won't happen. I'm saying that the way it'll happen and what it's for, God has an amazing orchestration in your life for you. And that's what I want to talk to you about. 1 Corinthians 2.9, remember that for yourself today because that's what, I want you to, that's what I want you to bury in your heart, that if you will love and obey your dreams, your, your, your vision for your life will be far exceeded by what God has for your life. Um, I was working one day, and my friend David came running up to me, and he goes, you have to meet Jimmy. And I was like, what? You know, like, that's not the opening to many conversations in my life. You have to meet Jimmy. David had just come back from Korea. And I don't know if you know much about the world, but North and South Korea are completely diff- different. South Korea is very open and, 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 and trying to advance and free. North Korea is communist, and, and about, about at 1950 would be about the most advanced they are, and very, very, very oppressive. They won't hardly let Americans in. They're very, uh, you know Kim Jong-il, the dude with the big glasses? If you don't know him, then it doesn't matter. He just has really big glasses, and so he can see the future. <laughs> so um, Kim, he, he runs this regime, and it's really bad. Anyway, so there's this border between the two, and between the two, Americans really aren't allowed into the top half. So Jimmy was in South Korea with David, and they met there. And he goes, you've got to meet Jimmy because, listen, I just came back from North Korea. And I was like, North Korea? How'd you get in North Korea? Because this guy's a missionary, David. He goes, well, I met this guy, Jimmy, and Jimmy's crazy. He's like, he's like, he's beyond, he's like, you're going to, if you meet him, you'll see what I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you who he is. He goes, he goes, Jimmy formed a team, and he went to the North Korean military and ask if he could take his team and tour North Korea. Now, this does not happen, but he, they said yes, and they put 15 guards around Jimmy and his team, not to protect them, but to, to find out if they, if they do anything wrong, if they try to share Christ, if they try to do anything against the communist regime, to throw them in jail. And if you get thrown in jail in a place like that, good luck to you. Good luck to you. If you watch Swamp People, you know what I'm talking about. Think you could handle it in a swamp? Good luck to you. Um, I'm crazy. Anyway, so Jimmy takes this team into North Korea, and they actually go into North Korea, and Jimmy's like physically, he like does these one-finger push-ups, and he's just boisterous and like electric, and he's so fun to be around, and so he goes in with these, these 15 guards, and they go into North Korea, and they tour North Korea, and they take them all space. By the end of the trip, like three or four of those dudes get saved in North Korea, and they're, everybody is like Jimmy's biggest fan. He's like a rock star there now. They're like, come back, Jimmy. I don't know how they talk like that, but they're like, come back, Jimmy, you know. We want you in our country. And David's like, what? You're not even allowed in North Korea. And Jimmy's a rock star there now. He goes, you got to meet Jimmy. I was like, well, I, got, I opened my calendar. I'm like, I got lunch, coffee, whatever. Set it up. He goes, no, 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 no. You have to go to Honduras to meet Jimmy. I was like, all right. And so... Jimmy, I mean, excuse me, David and myself and Mark, uh, Mark Job, Carrie's dad, we, we, we loaded up about a month later and we headed to Honduras. Now listen to this. I don't know if you know, but Tegucigalpa, Honduras is like one of the most dangerous airports in the world. You fly in, it's like if they put the landing strip right in the middle of all those mountains. And so you fly in like this and then you just bank like this inside the mountain bowl and then you land. And it's like crazy. It was awesome, but it's crazy. Anyway, so I'm like already on pins and needles, right? Because we're flying into Honduras. And my father-in-law is telling me, you, you might die. 
I'm like, don't tell me that. Tell me you pray for me, you know? And um, so we're flying into Honduras, and we have this crazy landing, and we land. And all I know is in third world countries that you don't get off the plane and, like, walk down the little nice air-conditioned thing. You know, you walk, you walk to the thing, to the terminal, wood terminal or whatever it is, you know. And then you go through customs. And then they drill you in customs. They look through all your bags, and they take whatever they want because you can't get in if they don't, and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm already a little bit nervous. And so we land. And at the end of the runway, there's this military general-looking guy standing there, arms crossed like this. And I'm like, dear Lord, I'm about to get arrested. I didn't even do anything wrong. And there's, he's in full fatigues, maroon beret, crossed arms, and he's looking at our plane and pointing. I was like, here we go. And so we walk down the thing. It's like 2,000 degrees. We walk down the deal. I'm instantly, like, covered in sweat. And this guy in this military outfit, I can tell he's like completely decorated. And then I see a cross on him. I'm like, where, the, where am I, you know? And he goes, hey, Ben, in English. And I was like, here I go. I just put my, I just did this one, you know. <laughs> I'm from Louisiana. That's what, you know, that's what we do. If somebody claps too loud, I'll hit the floor. <laughs> anyway, he goes, hey, Ben, come here. It was Jimmy. He's like, Jimmy Hughes, and he shakes my hand and, 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 and brings me in, and he's like, hey, so glad you're here. And he said, don't worry about your luggage. Come with me. And now you have to go through customs to get into these countries. We went around the back. Like, we went around the back, and we got in this yellow unmarked Hummer. And I'm like, what is going on? So I'm in the Hummer. I don't know where my bags are. None of my guys are with me. And then he sits down, and he starts to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to be a hitman in the mafia in the U.S. I'm like, can you pull over? He's like, yeah, and God saved me. And he tells me this extravagant story, which I'd rather him tell you if you ever meet him because there's, I don't know, this is crazy. Anyway, this extravagant story about how God saved him out of the mafia and he moved to Honduras and he just started helping people in Honduras. And he's like, yeah, we have, we have an orphanage. We have a, a, a house for pregnant mothers that are under the age of 13. And there's multiple kids because they get raped by their uncles and their fathers and they live in these terrible places. And so they get pregnant. So we have a house for these people and then we raise the babies. We bring the babies up. We, we do every day, we do feedings in the, in the women's prison, which is by our, by our compound. And we bring these ladies out when they get out of prison and we rehab them and we put them in these orphanages and help them learn how to love people. We have a gang rehabilitation. And we take people that are in gangs and they're all tatted up from head to toe, you know? And it, they are. It's like you can't find their skin. And so he's like, we take these guys and we teach them how to follow Christ. And we rehab them. And we, and we, do, we do local feedings and on and on. And, and he's taking me, driving me. And he's like, that's where we do this. That's where we do this. And so over that next day, he takes me to all these places. And I'm just like, what is going on, man? This guy's doing more than, than all of us put together in a lifetime, you know? And he's like, yeah. He goes, but wait till tomorrow. And so we go back. I'm like, I'm, I'm like it's brain overload, you know, all the stuff I've seen. Because I'm just this little you know, this little white kid from, De- from Louisiana who, who's like sticking out like a sore thumb, you know, everybody there. I don't speak their language. I don't dress like them. You know, my son's naked all the time, you know, <laughs> just making sure you're still listening. Okay. Anyway, so I'm like, got else in my head. Well, the next day he wakes me up early. He's like, let's go. And we go and we get in this truck. And in this truck, if we like three of us join hands and, and there was, a, there was like these pots, like these cooking pots. He's like, we're going into the mountains. We're going to, uh, actually, into Comeagua, which is, which is not in the mountains. It's down the mountain. And we're going to go to what's called a squatter's village, and we're going to feed. Now, I don't know if you've been there or been places like that, but I hadn't. I had been to mission trips. 
where we went in and we stayed at a nice hotel and we'd go in the day and paint a house, you know. But I hadn't been to these places like this. And so I end up in Comiagua in this outside of this town in this squatter's village. And a squatter's village is this. It's cardboard boxes and concrete blocks and propped up together and dirt. No running water, no electricity, and thousands of people surviving. So instantly you walk in and the smell is terrible. The sight is terrible. Every kid is naked. I felt right at home, you know. <laughs> dirty, very dirty. Um, people that are, like, that are like handicapped are just laying on the ground. It's just, it's, it was awful. And so it was like a shock to me. Jimmy's like, we're going to feed today. We're going to feed 2,000 people. I was like, come on. So this military truck pulls up. They unload all of our stuff, and we start cooking food. It's like rice and beans, and he cuts up hot dogs and carrots and just like a stew of whatever. But he's like, we're going to cook today. Well, me, I always, you see this little backpack right here. I always take this backpack. It's small. And I, feel, I go to like Party City, and I fill it up with like plastic whistles and stickers and things like that, because in a third world country, that's like bringing a box full of Xboxes and, you know, I know. <laughs> right? Because they don't have anything. They don't have clothes. So they're like, a sticker. That's all I've ever wanted. You know, I'm not making fun of them, but it's really like that. So you, if you bring stickers and candy and, and, and whistles in, man, you're the boss. You know what I'm saying? I like make it rain with stickers and kids are like, woo, woo, running around. You know, I got rolls of them. I'm like, just follow me. I'm a Pied Piper. I got kids behind me. So I'm prepared because I'm going to the third world country. And so my American mind fills this backpack up with stickers and candy and gum and, and, and you know, Honduran Xboxes, which are called whistles and stuff like that, you know. And so we get in this place and they have all the children line up and they start handing them star foam bowls. Boop, boop, down the line. And these kids don't have clothes on. They're bleeding, some of them. They're covered in dirt and mud, and it's hot, so dirt turns to sweaty mud. They don't have shoes on. They have, you know, it's just like what you've seen the TV commercials with the, with the flies in the eyes. It was kind of like that. And I hadn't been around that very much, so I'm like, my backpack. I'm going to bless these kids' life, you know. So they start cooking. They start handing out food. So I run and get my backpack. I'm going to the line. I'm like, hey, guys, you want a sticker? It says, God is love in Espanol, you know. And I'm, I'm like, you want to whistle? And I'm being rejected because they're so hungry and they want food so bad. They're hurrying to get to the food. They don't care about the stickers. And as I went through this process of trying to give away stuff, yes, some kids took it, but I was getting rejected left and right. And they said hungry. They were hungry, and they were going towards the food. They were naked. You could see their ribs, and they were, they were aimed at the food and going down the line. And as I began to try to do this, my heart began to break, so much so that I had to go behind the bus because I began to weep because I'd never seen something like that before. I've never seen a child under the age of six years old who prefers one bowl of gross food to candy and toys. That's almost outside of my comprehension here in, these, in the States. And I went behind the bus, and I wept, and I said, God, what can I do? I, I don't even know what's going on. And, I'm, and I, got my, I got myself cleaned up, and I went back around, and, and I helped, and I served. And Jimmy spoke that night for all the village. We set up like this stage and like floodlights. And he spoke for the village and he, and he interpreted his own sermon. So he would say, you know, something in Espanol because <laughs> I don't know Spanish very well. And he would say it in English because there was a lot of people serving. And so he began to say this over and over again. He would say, you know, like you guys go to church and, and I'm from the South, Texas people, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if they do it here, but 
when a pastor's like really into something and he doesn't feel like you're really paying attention, he says, amen, right? Or if he really wants to drive his point home, he's like, God is good, amen, and you say, amen. Right, let's try it. God is good, amen? amen? See? I just was worried that you weren't paying attention. Not really. So where I'm from, that's pretty common. Is, anybody, is that common where you're from? Well, Jimmy's tagline, his little thing that he said, he would go, he would say his point, and he would say, hola alguien. He would say, hello, somebody. It was real mafioso, like Italian. Like, he'd lean in and be like, God is good. He'd be like, hello, somebody, like he's about to punch you, you know, and you'd be like, hey, amen, you know, hello, I'm listening. So he said that over and over and over and over again. Fast forward. I was heartbroken. Went to my room, stayed the week, served, went home back to my comfortable king-size bed with my ceiling fan and my air conditioner. And over the next couple of months, I started having this dream. And I'm getting to God's dream for you, so listen. I started having this dream of these little naked kids holding out these little styrofoam bowls, saying, hello, somebody. Is anybody listening? Hello, somebody. We're hungry. Is anybody out there? Hello, somebody. And it almost haunted my dream because it's kind of like everything started working together into this one thing. You know, like if you, if you go skating tomorrow, like you're like, you're like skating or whatever you do here, and, 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 you, and you, go, then you, go, then you go play Xbox, and then it's like you're playing like, a, you know, like Splinter Cell or whatever, and I don't know, and then you, and then you go do something else. You go get, a, you go get a, a hot dog. And tonight you have a dream, and you're like skating on a hot dog, and you're like shooting people because you're Splinter. You know how it all kind of works together? Well, <laughs> maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> anyway, um, it all came together to these kids going, hello, somebody, is anybody listening? And I woke up night after night after night hearing that. And one day I woke up and I got up early. My wife was asleep and I got up and I was just brokenhearted. And I went to my place and I said, God, what do you want me to do? And it's almost like he said, I've just been waiting for you to ask me that. I've woken you up every night, Ben, and you haven't asked me what, what, what I want you to do. And then here's what he said to me. And... Let me just, let me preface this with, I can barely make cereal. Like, life cereal is a, is a challenge for me. You mean you have to put the cereal and then milk? How much do you eat it? A spoon? You know, it's like, I don't get this kind of stuff, you know? Much, if it gets further beyond that, I don't cook. So anyway, I got this, this word from God, and God goes, Ben, I want you to feed a million people. Are you listening? Hello, somebody. I want you to feed a million people. And I was like, I just was like silent because I was, I was kind of trying to process in my mind if that was, me, if that was the pizza I had had the night before, if it was God saying, I really want you to do this, you know? And I was like, in my, sp- in my spirit, in my soul, I, I said, okay, I'll do it. Okay. In Psalm 37, 5, it says this. It says, commit your ways to the Lord, and he will do this. In other words, say, okay, God, this is for you, and he will act. He will begin to act. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, and the just of your cause, the justice of your cause, shine like the noonday sun. I don't know about you, but I walked over here from the, from the other place, and it was pretty bright and pretty hot. We even had a discussion about it. And then we started talking about why sunscreen is evil and it got way off hand. But anyway, between here and there, I got pretty hot, right? Did you? It was, it, the sun was beating down. 
The Bible says if you commit your ways to the Lord, if you align your, what you do with your life with the way God says to do it, if you commit your ways to the Lord, you say, God, I'm going to do this righteous. I'm going to be holy in this. I'm going to do this the way you say, the way you prescribe. If you commit your ways to the Lord, he will act. In other words, if you just do what he says he wants you to do, then you just kind of like try, and he comes in and he does it for you. If you commit your ways to the Lord, he will do this. He will make your righteousness, your purity, your pure, your pure motives shine so much like the dawn, the justice of your cause, like the noonday sun. And he dropped that in my heart. And he said, if you'll say, okay, I'll change the world. And I was like, okay. I don't even, how are we doing time? So... <clears throat> I said, okay, and here's what happened. The next day I was walking through the office and I told somebody about my dream. And the guy goes, what can we do? How can we do it? And I was like, I don't know, but we're gonna do it. And then I had 15 interns that were hanging out in my, in, just with me that summer. And I told them, they said, what can we do? And they said, what, what? this one goes, I can make survivor bracelets. I didn't know what that was, kind of like this. They're like, I can make survivor bracelets. So we made survivor bracelets and we started selling them. And we started taking that money and putting it in this pile because we didn't really know what to do with it. And then they're like, hey, this one guy's like, I love, I love going to antiques. And this is a teenager. I'm like, you do what? Anyway, he's like, I love going to antique stores, and I found these keys, and we can make necklaces. And so we started making necklaces. We just started doing stuff. And so I'll fast forward about a month. I started preaching. I preached in my youth group in Gateway, and we did a series called Hello, Somebody. These guys were, were, were there at that time probably. We did a series called Hello, Somebody, and it was four things. It was how to give your time, your talent, your comfort, and your money to reach the world. How to sacrifice yourself for the world. How to say, okay, God, I'll go. Just show me what to do for the world. And so we did that, and here's what happened. <clears throat> Our students over four weeks gave $15,000. Students. Now, I'm going to rush through this part because I want to get to you. $15,000 seems like a lot of money. You know, it is, but in, in, in when, when you have over half the world going to bed hungry every night, it's not that big a deal, you know? But we were doing something. About that time, the earthquakes in Haiti happened. And we said, we started researching. How can we get food to these kids against hunger? There's this place, they're doing food. So I called Kids Against Hunger. They said, oh, cool, we have a rep in your church. I was like, oh, so I met him. His name's Rolando. So we, we started putting food together. And then this thing called Are You For Children, he called me. He's like, we have orphanages in Haiti. We could really use the food and we could distribute food. So we bought $15,000 worth of food and we sent it to Haiti and they sent it to the orphanages. And then I met this business guy at church one day and he's like, hey, tell me what you're doing. And I said, I, I'm, I just told him my dream. He goes, well, how can I help? And so he kind of brought the business aspect in, and we kind of built this line of products like hats, and you see this watch, it's just a colorful watch, and, and for 20 bucks, like, people buy the watch, and I can feed 100 kids with that. So we just started, like, doing this and, and like, going places and doing stuff, and we just put this thing together, and in eight months, guys, eight months, I got a phone call from Haiti, um, excuse me, from Guatemala, and they said, hey, we're sending out 115,000 of your meals today, and I did the math, and guess what number was inside of that number? The millionth meal. Eight months later, one million crisis meals went out in eight months, and all I did was say, okay. 
and God started sending people. The president of Mexico, Vicente Fox, the former president of Mexico, I got a phone call one day. I'm speaking in a junior high. I got on skinny jeans. I was much skinnier then, so now my fat jeans are skinny jeans. But anyway, I had on skinny jeans, a hoodie, a flat bill hat, and some crazy shoes. I'm in a junior high, and I'm trying to look like I'm in junior high, you know, and I'm 35, so it doesn't really work out that much, but, you know, just go with me. Anyway, so I'm preaching. Afterwards, I get a phone call. Hola. I'm like, hello. And I, this lady starts talking to me in Spanish. Hey, can you meet us at the Four Seasons now? If you don't know what that is, it's like this really nice place. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can. I, and then she goes, okay, good. And she goes, I am Vicente Fox's wife, the president of Mexico, the former president. I was like, oh, no, no, no. You don't want to see me like this, you know? So I went and met him for lunch. I had given their son a watch in Mexico. I didn't even know it was their son. They called me. Aaron Gillespie, the drummer from Under Oath, you might know who that is, or The Almost, calls me one day. He's like, hey, what can I do? He's got my product on the road. Switchfoot, last night, it's covered in Hello Somebody gear. And on and on and on. We're on the Vans Warped Tour. Anybody like the Vans Warped Tour? We're on the Vans Warped Tour. All these things happen, and it all happened with the catalyst of me waking up one night and God saying, this is what you want me to do. And in my fear and in my insecurity, I said, if that's what you want me to do, God, okay. And I committed my ways to the Lord, and he acted. Okay, I could tell you a million stories about that, and that's, but that's all about me. Now listen to this. I'm a cheesy youth pastor, and so I break things down to cheesy things that you can remember. Okay, because here's what God wants to do in your life. God wants to drop a dream in your life that is bigger than your dream for yourself. I never dreamed in my life to go and feed millions of people, but here's what I did dream. When I was a teenager, I dreamed I wanted to have a great wife that loved God and that would make me more like Christ. And God gave me something way better than I deserved. I said, God, I want to have four children, and my, next, my fourth one's due next week. I said, God, I want to speak to, to people. And I thought it was in business, because I used to be a pharmaceutical rep. And then one day, I was walking around a lake in Phoenix, and God said, I want you to start speaking to the next generation. I want you to tell them that if they will turn their heads back to me, then I will change the world through them. This is the most connected generation to the world of all time. With the touch of a button on your phone, you can reach India. You can reach Africa. If I want to fly to Africa tonight, I can pick up my phone, book my thing, pay for it, and be in Africa tomorrow. You guys have an open window to the entire world that I didn't have at your age and that my father didn't have at, his, at your age. And the next generation that you live in can touch the world so much easier. It's so wide open. And all you need is for somebody to believe in you. And I believe in you because I've seen 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds rally and do things like heart, the, the, what's heart, heart work and hello somebody and all these things, Tom's and all these different things and say, you know what? I want to think outside of myself. God, show me what to do. I'll get five or ten of my friends together and do something. And you guys can change the world and impact it in a, such an easy way compared to what the other generations were. And so God said, I want you to tell generation, the next generation, that if they'll awaken and align themselves with me, I will change the world and I will do it through them. They are the church. They're not waiting to become the church. They are the church today. They can do things at 14 years old that they don't have to wait till they're 30 years old because the same power that's al that was alive in Christ Jesus that raised them from the dead is alive in you today. And if Jesus can be raised from the dead, then you can get outside of your comfort zone and you can reach your world for Jesus and you can do the things that you dream of doing today. You can start. You see what I'm saying? I'm walking around a lake and God drops at my heart and I drop my business. I was managing a pharmaceutical company on the West Coast, 15 states, all the reps, all the money, living in a high rise in San Diego, looking out over the water. And I, and I said, okay, I'm done. And I went into youth ministry. And, I, and all I knew is about youth ministry was is that you probably didn't get paid a lot of money. But I said, okay. And God put me before people. And the last one was this, God, I want to be a missionary. I want to be a missionary. And my, my wife is scared to death of that one. And I'm doing it. I'm going all over the world and feeding people and helping people. Because I, because I said, okay, God, whatever you want me to do. Now listen, the O is for this. Okay, 
When God drops his dream in your heart, all you have to do is this. The O is this. There was a study done at Princeton University. They took 40 years to develop this study to come up with about 150 questions to show people what they were good at. That's all it is. Because they had a group of speed readers in a law class, and they said they wanted the rest of the group to be speed readers, so they wanted to train everybody on how to speed read, so they wanted the rest of the 80, 90% of the people to be like the other five people, right? And so they started training all these people on how to speed read, and what happened in the end was the people who weren't good at speed reading before got a little bit better, but the guys who were really good at it before increased by like six to ten times each. So now they're like lightning fast speed readers, right? And what they found out was is that if they can locate the gifts in people that are natural and supernaturally implanted inside of them and nurture those gifts, then those people can become superhuman in those areas. And so they do this huge test, and if you take the test today, they give you your top five answers, and if you pay a little extra, they'll give you your six. So I'll call them and say, why, why, will you give your, why do you give the six? Because they don't even tell you your 14 through whatever, or your, excuse me, your seven through whatever. Because they say, don't focus on that. That's not what you're good at. Focus on what you're good at. And be amazing at what you're good at. So I took the test. I called. I said, I want my sixth. Why do you give out the sixth? They said, listen to this. And this is, this, listen to this, guys. They said, if you have the top six answers on what you're good at in this specific order, in this specific score, if every seven point whatever billion person in the world took the exact same test at the exact same time, guess how many people would have the same score as you? 0.38. Not even another person. Which says to me this, we are fearfully, we are wonderfully made that God has a plan for our life and the plan that he has for, life, for your life is for you and for you alone. And if you don't show up, guys, we are doomed. We are a body. And if you don't show up and do what you're called to do, then what are we gonna do about it? We can't do your part. And so the O is for this. There's only one you and you don't have to be insecure about what God calls you to do. Every time I get up and speak, I get nervous and scared and God says, I called you there. You're the one today. They're the ones today that are supposed to hear this. I can't be insecure about this. It's my calling. I'm the only one today. You guys are the only one called to do what God's calling you to do, and he's gonna drop it in your heart. And if you'll say, I'm not insecure, Lord. I believe I will do it. He will change the world through you, and the K is for this. is the reason. The reason he's calling you, and the reason that all of eternity in both directions have, in your life have come to this is because the kingdom will expand, and the king will get glory, and he desires the subjects to bring him glory. Why does he call people to do things? Why does he want to give you an amazing dream for your life? Why? So the world will be changed to see that God's kingdom is the way it goes. And that the king will get glory because nothing's better than bringing God glory. Even to himself. God says if you commit your ways to him, then he will do this. He will act. God says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can comprehend the great things I have in store for you, young person, for you. If you will love me and obey me, if you will listen to the voice of God, if you will pray and you will listen, you will separate yourself and be holy as I am holy, he says, and you will hear God's voice. He will drop a dream in your heart that is so greater than the dream you have for yourself, and you will have the chance to respond to it. And if you will say, okay, understanding that you're the only person that can do it, and it's for his glory, he will absolutely blow your mind and change the world through you. And I'm living proof. I am not very good at much. And God is, I'm feeding millions of kids every single year. And I don't even know how. I was in Florida last week, and I'll close with this. I was in Florida last week, and I walked into a great American cookie company. Because <laughs> my wife's pregnant, and she's like, I want a cookie. So I was like, all right. So I was like, I'll eat one too, you know. I gotta get, I gotta make my fat jeans become skinny jeans, so I gotta fill them out, you know. So anyway, so I go to great American cookie company. I walk in, this Indian lady is at the thing. She owns it. And she's like, I won't try to do her accent, but she's like, hello, how are you? And I'm like, good. Can I have two cookies by the slice? She's like, yes. And so 
I started telling her how we drill water wells in India and how we've helped in this thing, Project Red Light, to get girls out of the sex slaves trade and all this kind of stuff. And she's like, her eyes get really big. And I just started loving on her. Well, these two girls walk in. It's on the beach. And these two girls walk in. And this girl, she's probably 19 years old. And she has this really, really, really colorful, complete sleeve tattoo. And so I turned around to walk out. And the first thing that caught my attention was the sleeve tattoo. It was like turquoise and pink and all these really pretty colors. And then I, lo- I looked at it, I was like, wow. And I was like, I wonder who did that. That's pretty artwork, you know? I'm not, I'm not advocating you to get tattoos. I'm just telling you the story, right? Somebody's going to go home and be like, hey, that dude at Desperation said we should get sleeve tattoos, mom. <laughs> so anyway, so I walk out. I looked at that, and I was like, man, I wonder who did that. That's really pretty. And I walked out, and I took two steps towards my car. And, the, and it's like the Lord just went, stop. He said, you know in the scriptures where it says, you are my workmanship? And I said, yeah. He goes, that means my poetry, my artwork. And when you just looked at that girl's arm, what did you think? I said, I wonder who did that. God says, I want you, everywhere you go, I want people to look at you and go, wow. I wonder who put that together. I want your life to point to me at all times. And he said, now turn around and go tell that girl that, I, that she's my workmanship. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> so I turn around, I walk in the door, I tap her on the shoulder like a creeper. I'm like, hey, I'm like, hey I've been following you on Facebook. <laughs> I didn't really do that. I tapped her on the shoulder. She turned around and she was like, she looked like she'd had a really rough night. You know what I'm saying? Like red eyes and it was like 10 in the morning. So I said, hey, I, I'm, I'm sorry to impose on your life, but I just walked out the door, and when I passed you, I felt like, I said, I said, I'm really, I, I, I love God, and I'm really in tune with him, and I felt like he said something that I, I need to tell you. She's like, okay. I thought she was like, what? And she goes, okay. I said, I saw that, your arm, I told her the story. I said, and God wants me to tell you this, that you are his piece of art, and if you will turn your life back to him, then he will show off his glory through your life. Dude, and she started bawling. And then I was like, uh, you didn't tell me what to do now, God. <laughs> she started bawling. And then she cleaned herself up and she said, you have no idea how bad I need to hear that right now. I had the worst night of my life and I've already had a terrible morning. I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing. And I know, I know that I'm supposed to be living for God. Thank you. And I turned around and walked out. And God said, if you will turn your ear to me, son, and just say, okay, I'll change the world. One person at a time. Will you bow your heads with me? I asked you what your dream was earlier, and I just want to ask you again. If you could do anything and everything that you want to do in your life, what would it be? You see, God's planted that inside of you. It's not just because you think it's cool, but he wants to do it in a way that will blow your mind. And that's what I want to pray over you today. I want to pray a blessing that your eyes and your ears will be open to the things of God so much so that you begin to realize that he has a plan and a a purpose for your life that so exceeds your plan and your purpose for yourself. It would make you excited, and when you get up in the morning, you couldn't wipe the smile off your face, and you couldn't wait to go outside and share the love of God with the broken people of this world who are desperately in need and, and are going to hell. And listen, keep your heads bowed, but listen to me. Guys, I believe in you. I see it. I see students go into the, into the marketplace and go approach people as weird as it sounds and just start talking to them and say, can I pray for you? And see people's lives turn to Christ. Don't for one second be insecure. What lives inside of you is very powerful. 
Father, thank you so much for this opportunity, and I thank you for every heart in this place. And Father, I pray a blessing on these people that for once, for the first time or for the millionth time, you would awaken a dream inside of them, God, and they would understand that it's not about them, it's about you. And God, if they will align their dream with your will for their life, God, that they would love you and obey you, that's your will for their life. If they would align their dream with that, God, you will blow their mind and they will have the most amazing life they can imagine. Now change the world through these students. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a great day. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.